From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Uh, joining me in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He's the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Welcome back. We missed you last yeah. week. <clears throat> joining us from Belka Del Vista, Florida, he is the retired admiral from your United States Navy. He is the one we know as Admiral Ken. Hello, Admiral Ken. Greetings, everyone. Uh, Mr. Costanza's next door making my Mai Tai. <clears throat> oh, I bet. And joining us from an undisclosed location in the Bay State, he is the former Huffington Post contributing uh, reporter and author of several books, including his latest, Politics on the Rocks. He is Robert, uh, Rich Rubino. Rich, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Hey, we got a lot to talk about, obviously, in this hour of glory, but we're going to start off with uh, the fact that your Chipotle, your guacamole is about to get really expensive. Now, you may be asking, Justin, why is my Chipotle getting really expensive? I'll tell you why. In the past few days, in case you haven't seen it, the president has made an announcement, which apparently caught everybody, including his own party, by surprise. He has made an announcement that he is going to implement tariffs on all Mexican goods, starting at 5% and then working its way up to a maximum of 25% if they don't get their border control situation under control, quote-unquote. Uh, it has gotten everybody in Washington riled up, including members of his own party, including his own economic advisors. Uh, there's speculation that there might even be resignations coming as a result of this. But it is a continuing mess dealing with international trade and this administration. Let's get to the first part of this. Uh, Alan Moore, in your experience, now let me be clear. You were the former Undersecretary of Commerce for international trade. You kind of know this stuff, I would take it. <laughs> um, in your experience, have you ever seen a president use tariffs in this way, let alone against your one of your biggest trading partners as retaliation for not meeting a political goal? It, it, it is new, it's new territory. It's new ground. I've never seen it. Um, he will do it against allies, against enemies. The, the president thinks of tariffs the way he used to think of contracts with contractors uh, on building projects at his golf courses. You make a deal, and then you want to pressure the people, and you just change the terms of the deal. Um, it's horrendously disruptive. The, the problem, of course, is that it's not just the contractor who's harmed, which was the case in, uh, again and again and again and the subject of many lawsuits. In this case, uh, most economists agree that when you impose tariffs unilaterally, you shoot yourself in the foot. You shoot your own economy. The president has this notion that somehow the, the foreign <clears throat> exporter will be paying the tariff, that nothing will happen. Demand won't change, and that the and and that the exporter will be swallowing the tariff. None of that is true. Um, the people won't buy as much. Uh, exporters will swallow some uh, of of the additional cost, and then the consumer will pick up the pick up the rest. And maybe a consumer of a product like an avocado, which would which we which we uh, obviously export uh, millions of every week, or it could be an auto part that will go into a car that's going to be assembled somewhere else in America. Um, it it is highly disruptive. The president's authority, interestingly, is solely related to whether an issue of national security is at play, allowing the president right. to unilaterally impose these tariffs. And and that's a matter of judgment. Is, is, but it, it, let me ask this question. Is he 
he's painting with a very broad brush the way that he's using the terms national security and the implementation of tariffs. Uh, is is he wrong? Well, it <laughs> here's the thing, and he did this before, just a couple of months ago, when he decided to invoke national security as the reason for tapping into the Defense Department to to uh, to generate more revenue to construct border uh, wall and, and and other and, and fencing, and the Congress said no. The Congress. <clears throat> passed a resolution that said this is not a national security threat as meant by the law. The president vetoed that uh, that resolution, right. and there was not two-thirds members of both houses uh, willing to take him on over the issue. With tariffs, that same scenario could be in play. Now, Remember, we're talking about a 5% across the board every, every import from Mexico starting next week. That's what's, what, what the president apparently unilaterally um, in terms of his— And unilaterally is literally the term we can use here. In his party and even within the White House, although Peter Navarro and probably one or two others, uh, maybe Stephen Miller, um, is involved in this, the issue is— Mexico's supposed or argued complicit uh, connection to the flood of people coming across, right. and it and it's you know pick pick your word when you have a hundred thousand people a month, it's a flood. Right, it's a lot of people, and Mexico has some duties, responsibilities, and opportunities. Um, it has been trying at some level to work with the U.S. government, but then out of the blue comes this, we're going to impose a tariff. Yeah, Admiral Ken. Well, and, and I, I got I to gotta say that, that part of this problem, um, the pump got primed when, when President Trump started laying down markers by calling Mexicans rapists and, and, uh, and murderers. I mean, you know, you can't expect to call people names and then them turn around and do things for you out of the goodness of their heart or sometimes even, even at all. And I think that part of the problem here is that, one, there was not a crisis at the border before, and now there is one. And we've been hearing the drumbeat about crisis at the border for almost a year now. And I think, you know, if you live down here, you know, in, the, in, in Boca del Vista and the surrounding towns, people are, are you know, they, it, it's, it's falling on deaf ears. It, they don't believe it anymore. It's no big deal. They don't care. Right. And even, and even, even the pictures of children being, you know, locked in a van for hours on end, to some extent, are falling on deaf ears at this point. Rich Rubino, it, 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 it strikes me as odd, and it, we're definitely playing with fire when we start messing I mean, China... You know, there are many in his party and even some outside his party that don't necessarily always agree with Trump that say, look, China has been a problem for a while, but we got to handle them with kid gloves. Everybody I talk to inside Washington that's familiar with the situation is still scratching their head that we're playing with fire when we're starting to mess with one, our next door neighbor, and two, one of our biggest trading partners, because for as many exports as we go with, they import a lot of products from the United States. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because usually, I mean, tariffs have been more or less a remedy, at least in the past, to protect domestic industries. You know, a domestic industry that they're trying to protect, whether it's, for example, steel manufacturers in Ohio. Um, George W. Bush, for example, in 2003 supported steel tariffs to protect them and then eventually got rid of them once he said that they were essentially protected for basically electoral reasons in part but based in 2003. But it's interesting, you know, you go back in history, for example, I mean, William McKinley, Calvin Coolidge, they talked about a full dinner pail, meaning essentially protectionism and the gold standard. But this is all for economic reasons that they were doing this. In Trump's case, it's interesting because he's doing it more or less to punish them for other reasons, for non-economic reasons, basically saying, you know, you get control of your border or we're going to penalize you economically. Now, some in his base, you know, it's interesting because I think there could be a chasm in his base here because some in his base could certainly look at that and say, yeah, that's what we need to do. Border security is, that is of paramount importance. That was the flagship issue of his campaign. We need to do this by any means necessary. But on the other side of that, 
you know, those are some of the same people who potentially are going to who potentially are going to see their taxes actually raised. You know, Republicans are supposed to be the party that's going to cut taxes. And, you know, and at tariffs, I mean, tariff is a tax on trade. So tariffs, by definition, are a tax. They're just not necessarily, you know, they're not an income tax or not a payroll tax. But it's interesting the way that he's doing this. It's not for economic reasons. It's simply to say we're going to penalize you. And certainly the one thing Donald Trump does have going for him in the 2020 presidential election, despite the fact that his job approval is, you know, in the, is in the low 40s, he has a certain distrust of him personally. There's a dislike of him personally. Um, is the economy. And I think there will be a lot of voters who might say, you know, I don't like Donald Trump, but you know what? Our econ- you know, unemployment's under 4% right now, the official unemployment rate. The economy's never been better, you know, since Richard Nixon in 1972. No Republican president has had a better economy to run on. And just the possibility that there could be some, there could be a lack of, you know, stimulus right around election time, he really is indeed playing with fire. And it's fascinating, you know, to see will the, will his, will his base say yes, you know, border security is paramount or will it kinda or will they go to the other side and say that no, I think the economy trumps border security. Maybe right. there'll be some people who may even come out and say that you know, to, to tell pollsters that yes, they think border security, you know, we need to have right. these tariffs when it actually comes to the, when it actually comes to pulling the lever on election day, if you're, you know, living in Ohio and you're really and you're seeing your taxes potentially raised and you're seeing something happening to the economy, they may the deleterious tax the economy, these people may actually, you know, vote against Trump to right. for their own personal Economic reasons. Uh, joining us in a better late than never maneuver, we always love having him in the studio. He is the former Joe Biden political operative and the lawyer in the great state of Maryland, the District of Columbia, Dan Lipner, Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. Well, you, you you were raising your hand like you had something prolific to say. Well, what's really bizarre about uh, Trump's approach with Mexico is he could actually have used this to expand his base. Yes, I said that correctly, expand his base. How? Because there's legitimate question for people who are refugees seeking asylum from <clears throat> their, their home country. Once they've reached Mexico, they are theoretically now in a safe place. Now, if you look to how things have been handled either in Europe or even the Middle East, other countries actually throw money at people who are playing host to refugees. I would a lot of attention drawn or shown at uh, Jordan, for example, that has refugees from both uh, the Palestinian people and Syria, that the international community has dumped a whole lot of cash on Jordan to help them deal with that refugee crisis. Yeah, but, but, but explain- In this case, Trump actually could have taken the step in saying, listen, I actually have sympathy for these folks, but they have escaped once they have reached the Mexican border and the Mexicans deserve assistance. In dealing with that crisis, it could have been done in a different way and actually raised a specter of leadership that not only in the United States, but he could actually give a nod to Europe because that is similar to the European crisis of where the refugees who are fl- but the fleeing the, the, the Syrian civil war. But as stable as the Mexican government is, Alan Moore, to, to keep the, that many refugees, Hondurans, Hondurans, Guatemalans, uh, El Salvadorians, to keep that many in Mexico so close to the border of these countries where their lives are actually in danger, in a country where there is still a large narco gang problem and the presence of a lot of these gangs that are looking for these people to do them harm, does that make sense? Well, it, it... the idea makes a lot of sense. Practically, there's a whole host of, 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 of problems. The people who come across that southern, the, 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 the southern Mexican border aren't interested in living in Mexico. They're not less interested in returning to their homes. Typically, what happens in other refugee situations, people are forced out of their homes waiting for stability to settle in and return, and then they hope to return to their homes. That's the classic 
case of, of, of refugees in times of war. This is a very different case um, where, first of all, we could argue, um, but I, w- I would argue that it's not a war in the classic sense, right. although there's a lot of violence and, and potential And I don't want to go too to, far down to this to we've got other tariff issues. No, no, no. But, but I think Dan makes a, makes a very good point about what the U.S. could have done should have done. You could have made this a carrot and stick situation. As opposed to what it did do. The the Mexicans actually send, deport more Central Americans than the U.S. does. Right. It intercepts a lot of people and sends them back. All of that takes time and expense. So start with that. And then they've got their own problem of corruption on the border. People, a little, a few hundred dollars here will go a long way in getting some people who come across to be able to stay there, it, meaning in Mexico, but then they got to move. Once they start moving in Mexico, the Mexicans have an opportunity, and we could argue a duty, to intercept, to, to do some screening. Um, sometimes to hold for a long period of, uh, right. a long period of time, and we could be helping them. We could be working but side why by side, hit including with a stick? including paying but for a lot of the costs. That's what I'm saying. That's, no, no. All I'm what we there's a lot we could and should be doing in cooperation with the Mexicans. I'm guessing we're doing more in cooperation than is visible, but not nearly as much. And the rhetoric doesn't reflect that at all. But why why hit them with tariffs instead of giving them incentives? That's what I don't get. This is the president's view that if you're tough with... Your 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 trading partners, your neighbors, Canada, Mexico, even the Europeans. Forget China, which is a special case, as right. as we've said on this show many, many times. times. Um, but but these folks who are 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 likely allies or expected allies, especially Mexico, which has got its own economic <laughs> struggles. We had a golden opportunity to be sympathetic towards their situation and to help finance the kinds of things that might be possible inside Mexico. Instead of doing that, right. or we could even we 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 could even threaten a tariff. Right. That's, but that's the nature of the Trump politics, where we actually where the truth actually lies. This president isn't interested in in actually solving problems. There's almost no evidence of that. The stick approach is. Strictly for his base, it's for domestic politics, as as all of the president's <laughs> approaches are. But not, domestic politics in the appeasing the base. The base wants to beat up Mexico, and you can. There's a strong argument that it's that it's a bigoted approach to policy. If he actually wanted to solve this problem, there are a lot of other choices that are more than arguably more useful to solving the actual issues at play. Instead, the only issue he is he's consistently concerned with is his base that what? that that wants the stick and even if the stick causes more harm, they want the stick. But here's the problem, Admiral Ken, is you get a situation where we're now throwing a stick at this problem where the people that are going to get hurt in this situation yet again in using tariffs, the people that are going to get hurt are the people that put him into office. That's agriculture. You look at the, at the car manufacturers. Every time a carburetor goes back and forth for processing, there's going to be a tariff on it. So the, the people who understand that um, at this point in time are not the people that are cheering President Trump on. Um, There was a story uh, last week about the congressman, I think he's from Ohio, Republican, who made some fairly anti-Trump comments and felt that he just crossed over, felt that he should be impeached. And Uh, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, lady in his Thomas. audience, be- because she was um, listening to uh, right-wing um, news media, had no idea that anything negative had been said about the president and the Mueller report. Again, the people who are going to be hurt by this the most are not the ones who are aware of this right now. And so consequently, I think the president's playing this game where he's being tough, he's being tough, he's being tough, up to the point where uh, his advisors are going to start leaving like they did some number of months ago, and that might get his attention, but only for a moment. Rich Rubino, is this a situation where 
Trump has to bank on the short attention span and the limited uh, scope memory of his base come 2020? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, and, he's, and he's very good at that. I mean, you know, if, assuming that the base is the same base that the Republican Party base that, for example, supported Republicans, the New Gingrich Republicans, the New Gingrich Revolution in 94, the ones that supported George W. Bush, the traditional Republican base, Remember, it was the Republicans who got NAFTA through the United States Congress with Bill Clinton. It was, you know, Bill Clinton's opponents that year were Dick Gephardt and David Bonnier, the two leaders in the House of Representatives, um, the, 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 the majority leader in the whip, where the, where the opponents, the Democrats. Then it was George W. Bush who supported a pathway to, a pathway, um, to citizenship for certain, for certain immigrants, for example. These were Republican issues. This is not, you know, now all of a sudden... The trade issue has really flipped its side on its head, and now all of a sudden you see that it's really been this reverse, and it has been this transmogrification of the political paradigm, and it's huge. In terms of if you talk about issues like trade right now, um, the president's base, mostly Republicans, are now the ones that are saying we need to put tariffs on the, Me- we need to put tariffs on the Mexican government. We need to put tariffs on other countries. And it's just fascinating how, um, you know, you talk about the shortness of the attention span. You have all these – you have some traditional Republican economists who I think work in the Trump administration. The one I'm watching is someone like Lawrence Kudlow, for example, who in the past were not necessarily, you know, economic nationalists like Trump were. Uh, Trump has always called himself a quote-unquote tariff man. And in the past, that's something that's differentiated himself. That's more the position of Ross Perot, where when Pat Buchanan advocated it, in 1992 or 1996, when he ran for Republican nomination, he was, his position was seen as a minority position. The majority of the party supported somebody like Phil Graham or Bob Dole, for example, who are more or less free traders. Um, so it's just fascinating how the Republican Party has really switched because of one man, Donald Trump. And the right. question is, when Donald Trump leaves office, will the Republican Party go back to its roots, or will they, become, or will they go back to where Donald Trump took the party? He's taken it. He's taken it in a different direction very quickly, and you know part of that is because of the short attention span of the base. And, uh, Dan Lipner, you're you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, I, I think that sort of overstates it. So the Republican coalition of the uh, at, looking at it from the left, the the fat cat Republicans, the Rockefeller Republicans, the, tro- yep. the pro trade Republicans, they have always been a very very distinct minority. So in order to build a winning coalition, you had to start dealing with other issues, including the social issues. Uh, Bob Dole once famously said, uh, well, maybe not so famously said if, if, if around the table doesn't know the quote, yeah. that if it weren't for the Christian right, the Republican Party would barely be a, a national party. So the coalition, the evangelical base, does not have a natural lineup with the with the Wall Street Republicans, the fat cat base. Right. And but the problem is the raw numbers are the difference. So you had to get the what's the matter with Kansas crew to shift from where they used to be traditionally Democrats, going back to William Jennings Bryan, but these to are shift people, to the, the social issues. Right, but Dan, these are people that are Republican now going to get hit on two sides. They're getting hit on the China tariffs, which are killing the soybean family farmers, a lot of the pork family farmers that are getting hit. Uh, you know, your grain farmers are getting hit out in the Midwest. There are lots of people who are impacted by the trade. But this is a and double agri- tap. There are lots of people who are impacted by the trade and agriculture. The p- number of people who are actually directly involved, so you're talking about the family farms and all that, that is a distinctly smaller subset. Might they feel the impact? Absolutely. But they, they do not necessarily see that connection immediately one-to-one. So... It is a harder right. conversation that you have to get to to explain to folks that where their businesses lie. And once you start talking about derivative businesses that begin to lose, it's a much harder conversation. Alan Moore. Yeah, I think we make a mistake if we attribute everything the president is doing here to a, a big, grand political calculation, um, because it's not. The president, in my judgment, in my uh, observation, actually believes, actually believes that this is a good tactic. But this is a that president is that doesn't right even know what thing. a tariff is. He well, he he doesn't know who who pays for it. He knows that you impose a, a special tax. You mean to tell he me? He thinks. Just a minute. Let's just stay with. <laughs> I I I'm being critical of the president's ignorance, but I'm not willing to go to uh, the place where you want to take it. Okay, so he thinks that imposing a tax 
brings revenue into the U.S. government, the foreign exporter pays the tax, and that it, we get leverage and get something else that we want. He believes in that. It's not that he's thinking, oh, I've got all of these know-nothings who support me out there and will, will, will bless anything I do. He believes this works. And as I said at the beginning, I don't think Dan was here. I draw this parallel between the way he used to deal with, with some of his subcontractors and projects at golf courses and so on. Apply leverage when you have it. Pay them less than you agreed to pay and and, and refuse. Take them to court. Uh, unfortunately, in this particular case, we're operating on this grand scale, this 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 huge place. And it's not just, pardon the expression, the, the Wall Street fat cats who believe in free trade. There are Americans <coughs> all over the United States who aren't fat, who aren't on Wall Street, who aren't rich, but who have got a basic understanding of economics and realize that there are serious benefits with as much of a free trade environment as one can create. Absolutely. Right. I absolutely and, agree, and, and that's and, not the and, Trump and, base. And it, well, it, but it, it, it's not the, quote, base, but right. there are people who, who, who have voted for, for Trump and, and may again. The problem in this case is we put at risk the, in the, the whole new NAFTA, the USMCA. You've got a bunch of Republicans. This is a different dynamic than with, with the border right. funding where – there, there are a bunch of Republicans who are saying, I'm not going to be able to vote for USMCA, the new NAFTA, if these tariffs are in. Right. That's the thing we and, need and by to the watch. Way, and by the way, late this afternoon, on the day that we're recording, the Republicans have pretty much told the White House, we're gonna, we will block your Mexican tariff, and if you try to veto it, we have a veto. We have the ability override. to veto, yeah to override it. Well, they may. We don't know. We'll, we'll see. And that's the, that's the other point that needs to be made. That I, and I'm entirely with Alan that this president does not have any grand plan or any grand philosophy at play here. What he does know is he can do this unilaterally, which means he thinks of himself as an 800 pound gorilla, which goes directly into how he did things right. business wise. Right. However, anytime he got popped in the nose is when he 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 would go yelping off to the corner. So if the Republican Party actually does override a veto uh, with the help of the necessary volume of Democrats. Yeah, that that would be an interesting dynamic for this president, and I'd right. be looking forward to it. and And I'm hoping that the Republicans that uh, actually understand how trade works R- do so. Rich Rubino, the 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 uh, the chairman of the of the, of the Fed, uh, came out just the other day and was saying that. Uh, we've got to take a serious look or at least look at how these tariffs are directly affecting the basis of our economic surge. Is Jerome Powell in a difficult situation right now as far as having to balance a an economy that is borderline overheating that could see a drop and all this tariff war stuff? I mean... The president was talking about putting tariffs on Australia, for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely he does. Um, you know, the Fed, the independence of the Fed, right? Um, you know, I will say this, though. With Donald Trump, one thing that you, if you go back in history, go back to all of his interviews, go back to his interviews, you know, in the 1980s, one thing, he did have one overarching belief, and it seems to, from my perspective that is he, he has always believed in tariffs. He has always believed that essentially that that is the way you have to do in order sometimes to penalize other countries and not to protect industries. But that's his one overarching. You know, he switched his views on just about every other issue, immigration, abortion, just about everything else. That's the one issue where he seems to have been very consistent. Um, and now in terms, of the, in terms of the Federal Reserve, that certainly, is, that certainly is part of it because he is certainly worrying about the possibility of the economy overheating. But also, you know, when you're, put, when you're putting tariffs on – in terms of the short-term, the short-term effects that can certainly disbenefit the, the country right. as a whole. So the question is, you know, what necessarily does he do? And can Donald Trump use the Federal Reserve, even though, even though the chairman of the Federal Reserve is somebody that he nominated? Can he use him as a boogeyman in the 2020 presidential election by saying, you know, the Federal Reserve saying this, the Federal Reserve saying that? I mean, he certainly has shown that he's willing, whether it's Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, or certainly Mr. Powell, who he's gone after ad nauseum, he's willing to go after people that, he's, that he has somehow appointed. And I'd like to know how many people, how many of the American people actually know that the president is, is the person who nominates the chairman of the Federal Reserve.
<clears throat> Good point. Probably and, the same number of people that that know that tariffs hurt them in the long run. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah Alan Moore. Right. Alan Moore. We got one minute left uh, before we got a break. The uh, the the situation with China has not improved. Mexico could be a problem, and you know, with the talks of Australia, there's also talks about new EU sanctions. Um, is are the tariffs going to be the tripwire to have the economy go into uh, dare I say a recession? I don't think so, and maybe it's me putting on my optimistic hat again. There's there's so much dissent now within the party inside the White House um, and out in the land, uh, commentators, about this latest initiative with Mexico that I think the president, even though they're trying to get people to, to speak out for it, uh, they're not, um, is, is probably reassessing. He hates to admit he makes a mistake, but I think that maybe he, in this case, will realize Okay, maybe maybe the idea wasn't so bad, but tactically, uh, strategically, I didn't carry it out uh, correctly. I needed to throw some warnings out there to apply pressure and not put the, the, the Mexican president into a corner. I think the Mexico one will get worked out, not least of all because it jeopardizes the whole ability for him to get his new, big, sweet, wonderful trade deal, which, of course, wasn't that different from the original NAFTA, but it, it was part of the... NAFTA, pres- NAFTA 2.0? Well, right, or the UM, USMCATPP, um, which is what I called it, because it had a few provisions that we said were were absolutely crazy with in our, in our Asian conversations. Okay. Now we're gonna. We're, obviously, we're gonna be watching this for a few weeks because we don't want. You know, I don't want my Foster's beer being tariffed. That's expensive as it is. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about uh, the politi- the politicalization of the U.S. military, particularly the politicalization of the U.S. Navy. This is back from politics from Studio A and Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in and he packed and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. In Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back here in Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. Uh, in studio with me, Dan Lipner, uh, the Honorable Alan Moore. Uh, we've got uh, Admiral Ken down south in Florida. we got Rich Rapino in Massachusetts. Behind the glass... 
I don't know who's running the show. Charlie Burney, our host and owner of, of Podcast Village. Rob, the engineer, and I think even Eric, our engineer, or uh, our producer, Eric Thomas, he's been running the board once or twice. Anyway, that being said, uh, we want to bring up a, an interesting topic that's come up, and this one was actually proposed by Admiral Ken, obviously, but it, 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 it's a fascinating topic. Uh, in case you didn't see it, President Trump went to Japan. We talked about that in one of our previous uh, episodes. And while he was there, uh, it... The news broke that apparently the White House military office had sent a letter to the Pentagon and to the commander of Pacific Fleet that they wanted— My classmate, by the way. Yeah, that's that's true, Admiral. uh, That they had sent a note wanting them to first move the uh, Jesus Destroyer USS John S. McCain— from its current birthing in Japan to an off-site birthing where the president could not see it. Uh, PACCOM said, yeah, no, screw that noise. And they said, well, make it go away. And they put tarps over the stern covering the name USS John McCain. At the same time, they also put out uh, an edict that the crew— of the USS John McCain, could not wear their covers, or as we know them, hats, or anything with the name USS John McCain on it, and they were supposed to either stay ashore on leave or stay in quarters while POTUS was there. Uh, The Navy acknowledged this request when it put out a statement saying, quote, a request was made to the U.S. Navy to minimize the visibility of the USS John S. McCain. However... All ships remain in their normal configuration during the president's visit. Quote, unquote, Rear Admiral Charles Brown, uh, Commander Pacific Area. This is just one. Now, by the way, uh, Defense Secretary, Acting Defense Secretary uh, Shanahan had said that, uh, nah, he had no involvement. We we would never do that. And he, now it's getting called out as, well, he pretty much yeah, the Washington Post reported that it, that it basically the, the rumors of it, about hiding the boat were floating through the entire Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that the, the sec def or the acting sec def had no idea is, uh, shall we say, a little suspect. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, Admiral Ken, number one, this is about as politicized as you can get on politicizing the military. But to do it in such a petty way has got to be disheartening. Well, so one of the first things that a good leader learns early on is that when you're in a leadership role, it's not about you. It's about the people that you lead and, and, or, and or the people that you serve, i.e. the same people that you lead. And I think that somewhere along the line in, uh, in POTUS school, um, Donald Trump missed that lesson. Um, so imagine if you, if you will, Justin, because you've been you've been in uniform, and, and the rest of you, the rest of you guys will have to you know do the best that you can uh, to keep up with this. Imagine if you if you will, the president of the United States is is coming to town. You're a boss, and he puts out the word he don't want to see you because of what ship you're on. I mean, that is just like if that's not a kick in the in in the the, the pants, you know, front or back, I, I don't know what is. And it's not about you know the fact that the president's got this animus for a guy who's been dead almost a year now. It's that he's basically keeping this going long after the guy's cold and in the grave. And it does not speak well of him. And I think more importantly, it does not speak well of Nick Mulvaney, who went on TV this weekend to defend it. Ridiculous. And what I don't understand is is that there there that we continue to normalize um, this person's behavior right after we go, oh my God, I can't believe he did that, and then we just kind of chalk it up as, as just another day in Trump in, in the world of Trump. Rich Rabin. Oh, yeah. By the way, and by the way, by the way, Dan, it's not a boat; it's a ship. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, 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 we will allow those corrections for this segment. Uh, sorry about that, Dan. But anyway, Rich Rubino. Uh, I saw Dan's eye roll even from here. Yeah, wow, that's true. Rich Rubino, <laughs> the, 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 
they're really, I think, disrespectful going off the comments of, of, of uh, Admiral Ken was the fact that even the crew of the John S. McCain were not even invited to the I mean every other member of fleet personnel were invited to the president's Memorial Day speech but everybody but the McCain crew and they're still reeling from a tragic loss of life in an accident that happened inside uh the Pacific area outside of Singapore uh they're they're still going through repairs uh, was this a missed opportunity for the president, and how degrading is it to our military personnel? Oh, it's extremely degrading. I think you'd know that more than I would. But, um, you know, I mean, this this goes back to what someone was saying earlier, that the president does not really have a political calculation. Now, I think he does on issues like tariffs. I think that's the one thing he does believe in. In terms of this, this is simply just a petty move, um, you know, whether he knew about it or whether he didn't know about it. Can you think of – I'm trying to think of another – President, you know, certainly presidents have had adversaries. They've had enemies in the other parties, and, and or in their own party sometimes. And usually, when they die, they'll they'll send they'll send out they'll send out a press release saying, you know, I I appreciate his service, something like that. Um, but you ne- rarely do you see, even six months a year afterward, that the president continues to have this animosity towards somebody. Um, you know, his basic argument, I think, is that he gave money to John McCain. He supported him in the primary. McCain had supposedly come to him in the two, in 2008 during the Republican primary and said, you know, can you give me some money? And Trump said, you know, I support you. And then basically he thinks he thinks in part that Trump, that John McCain kind of double-crossed him when he really went after him during the so-called uh, current affair, I guess, gate when they came out. And that's when it came out, you know, that he had been talking about, you know, P-U-S-S-Y gate, I guess you'd say. Um, but the other thing is, you know, this this vote by this ship, by the way, um, is not even knowing. It's, John McCain is only is one of only three people that it's named after, and they put his name on in 2018 as an honor to him after he had died. But it's also his father and his grandfather who are admirals in the U in the United States Navy too. So those are people that he really does not necessarily have any beef with. But it also, I think, really speaks ill ill of his staff. That if there's somebody in there's somebody along the line of the chain of command that thinks that the president would be that offended by seeing by seeing the USS John McCain out there, that they would actually go through this entire charade. And you know, I don't see I don't see the I don't see certainly from a moral perspective, but I also don't I don't see the politics. I don't see where there's this great base of people every time he goes after John McCain, who spews John McCain as somehow the Antichrist. There are people who don't like the who don't like John McCain. Certainly, I think his base, when you mention Mitt Romney, John McCain, they view him as establishment Republicans, right. and they're not fond of him. But I don't think they view him with this animosity that Donald Trump views it as, and it's really it's just absolutely bizarre. <clears throat> and you know, I'd love to be in the psyche of Donald Trump someday. Dan Lipner. Well, and that's part of what makes this president so exhausting. Um, the, the fact of the matter is this boat was named after, and I will let me clarify, all ships are boats, not all boats are ships. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying your knowledge, Dan. I'm going to send them to Gitmo. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Go ahead. So, oh, so the fact that this destroyer was named after three men who all served their country honorably and in some of the hardest times is a pretty impressive thing. Now, the president and his president's team, in their infinite genius, if they had said nothing and done nothing, this would be a non-story. This would, no, nothing would have happened. Traditionally, the kind of thing that happens here is you either honor or don't honor. You don't go out of your way to dishonor. Right. <laughs> right. So that's part of the absolute insanity of this president. I mean, if you go back to – and just using the Navy as an example, uh, when the United States accepted the surrender of Japan in the Pacific Theater, what what ship did they do it on, uh, Admiral Ken? And what – incidentally, what state was it named after and what, pres- and what state was the president from? Well, it was from? USS Missouri. It was Big Mo, yeah. and it happened yep. to be the home state of President Harry S. Truman. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that wasn't that, dumb luck. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So, <laughs> so, like the Johnson Space Center. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, or the Kennedy Space Center, so, you call it. So there are things you, you can do to honor somebody. But if you simply walk past it and don't go out of your way to dishonor, it's a non-story. Right, And right. that's what's so bizarre about but, this president. But, but, Alan Moore, this is not the first time that this president has politicized the, the, the military, either using it to disgrace a former political adversary or 
to use it as a political gain for the moment, a quick vitamin B shot to the political base, uh, is is trying is Secretary Shanahan trying to tell the president, please don't politicize our military, like telling people not to breathe. It's also against the law for the military. That's worse. I, 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 I don't know what what. What Shanahan knew, didn't know, uh, I don't know what his relationship is. Remember, he is the nominee. He's the acting. Yeah, he's, and the nominee. He's the deputy. He's the acting, and he's the nominee. He has some explaining to do, and you can be sure that he will be asked when he comes before the Senate for confirmation hearings, he will be asked in considerable detail and no considerable amount of discomfort to him. He says he didn't hear about it until afterwards. Well, that seems unlikely, but it's possible. He's going to have to. Uh, he's going to be challenged on that. The president said he didn't know about it, although he thanked the people who tried to to be protective of him, which is hardly. And, and then I think went on to say, "Yeah, he's the John McCain, not my favorite guy." So he just what what the irony the irony of all of this, apart from just being petty and small um, and stupid and, and stupid and really stupid and 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 dishonorable, if you will, um, is that it calls attention again to John McCain and has everybody, including us, talking about it. So, gee, how'd that work out for you guys in the White House who thought, hey, we we need to keep the the the, the destroyer John McCain out, out, out of the pictures. Out of the pictures is one thing. Getting it off the off <laughs> off the ocean, covering its name. I mean, these are the kinds of bizarre things that that people who think they get an, who who hear an order try to do, and it and it almost and always backfires, backfires right. to to to, uh, to to damage those who are who are trying to do this. It's just incredibly stupid, and somehow nobody in this loop was strong smart enough and or strong enough to say that's stupid we're not doing right. that but let, what what's the configuration of ships that we're going to use do we need to reassess right. that we don't and, want the the John McCain and, and, you know, and, 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 and okay. I the other the other side of it too moving a navy ship uh, either with a tug or under its own power is not an insignificant uh, expenditure of money I mean, to, and, to, and, to, and to, to force this because of someone's petty wishes, you know, doesn't speak well of, of, of the party. I mean, we're supposed to be about fiscal conservatism. This is stupid uh, right. on so many levels. But, but on so now, many levels, it's stupid. I do want to say this, and, and, and going back to your comments, Alan, uh, I will somewhat defend Shanahan and a couple of other players, and, and even Trump in this. By saying that it, a lot of times, a lot of requests go from the White House military office to uh, Pacific Command authorities, and their staffers will float it around and everything like that. This one happened to get elevated a little bit higher because staff actually said, wait a minute, I don't know about this, but it's coming from the White House. I'm elevating this. This went all the way up to 7th Fleet, all the way up to uh, Pacific Command. Uh, when it got elevated, is when it started breaking. I'm not. I don't think that. I will. I would say that I don't think Shanahan knew about it until after it had gotten super elevated, and to the point where it had already gone through and it was already breaking. Uh, so I will defend him on that. It's what another I, example of mission accomplished. It. it uh, <laughs> you really you had to go there. I don't think it's dissimilar. I, I, I think, I, I, I think no, no, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with Dan. I think there's a parallel there. I the, don't think President George Bush said, hey, put a hang a mission accomplished sign up there. And I'll he fly onto the deck. I'll fly onto the deck of an that. aircraft carrier somebody, in the Rio seat. Somebody said, Let, let's celebrate something. Somebody said, let's make this banner. Somebody hung it up and and we're we're it's it's a laughing been a laughing stock ever since. But at, you know, at, I was just going to say, just a quick, just a quick uh, par parallel, bringing it back to Watergate. Remember what, uh, just to, to paraphrase, I guess, what Howard Baker said during the Watergate hearing. He said, I guess you could say, when did the secretary know and when did he know it? Right. Yeah. Or what did the what secretary did he know, know and when did he know when did he know it? He know yeah. it? Correct. Yes. Um, the Navy's got another PR problem this week, Admiral Ken. Uh, when the, uh, in case you don't remember, 
the the sex crazed weird antics of uh, former Governor Eric Greitens, former Republican governor of Missouri. Uh, he was pretty much drummed out of office because of major sex scandals and corruption scandals going on in Jefferson City at the state capitol. Uh, he was a Navy SEAL until 2017. I didn't know he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, Admiral Ken, did you know he was a SEAL? <laughs> Admiral Ken's like, talking, and we can't hear him. Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, you Sorry. did. Yes, okay. Did. Yeah. So this yeah. Navy SEAL becomes a governor, ends up getting stuck in this, in this, uh, in this corruption trial, gets thrown out of office, um, and you then say that like he just hit a pothole or something. Oh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a sinkhole, not a pothole. Yeah, it was a sinkhole. I mean, I don't. This is a family show. I don't want to get into the graphic stories. <laughs> Uh, but this makes the Bunga Bunga Room take on a whole different level. Uh, but he left the Navy, and after he got thrown out of the out of office, he went back to the Navy and said, "Hey, I want back in." Uh, the Navy originally said, "Not ju- the Navy SEALs, Special Forces Operations Command said, not just no, but hell no, you're a freak, you're out." <laughs> they went back, and then he went back. He said, "Fine, I'll elevate it." Went all the way back. And then to Navy Personnel Command by way of, wait for it, Vice President Mike Pence's office. Showing uh, us those Christian values. Mike Pence gets involved and forces the Navy. They take him back in. They take him back in. Admiral Ken, two things. Number one, the guy left to run for office, which is legitimate. Yep. yep. And he wants but back he, in. But he, but he kept but but he kept his reserve commission active, which is not unusual. Okay, but the guy was thrown out of office and charged with political felonies. Uh huh. He's still yep. under investigation on several of them. Yep. And the only way how does the pre, how does the vice president's office, knowing this guy, decide to go? Okay, I so, want to recommend. Uh-huh. What's going I'm really on? Glad, I'm really glad to hear that you changed the tenor of your question in mid in, in mid mid uh, asking, because you, you basically said, "How does the vice president's office do?" Blah 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 blah, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I I have no doubt. I know who the reserve. I know who the commander of the Navy Reserve is, and the, this this person took an order. He said, "Yes, sir." Yeah, and it came. It, it came down, and that, but, that and, and and we 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 believe it or not, believe it or not, even in Trump's in the world of Trump, we still serve at the pleasure of the uh, of the president. But but I, I mean, this uh, is hey, really bizarre. Before we go too down too far down this this line, are we certain that he was quote taken back? I yes. I am not yeah. sure of that. No, I, yeah, I've actually yeah, talking yeah, to he, people. He, yeah, he, I actually had a discussion with people that are in intimately involved in the situation. They have confirmed that he's about to get deployed again. Wait, so I I think we're actually losing the forest for the trees on this topic. Considering the politicization of the military, and while this is a— This is a a huge politicization. This is a suspect look at the use of the civilian power as— There you go. Thanks, Over the military. There are actually a lot more— substantive issues in in my mind. So this is the issue of Donald Trump actually being on military patches um, that is also at issue. Another Uh, example, I want to bring that up. People in uniform actually showing overt partisan choices. And while I never served in uniform, I did spend a year of my life in ROTC, and I went out of my way. No, no, I I say this specifically because I I, I talked to my commanding officers uh, when I was learning this because I I was a political creature even in college, and I wanted to know what my rights and responsibilities were. And I remember very distinctly when Hillary Clinton came to visit uh, Syracuse while she was first lady, uh, I was told explicitly if I was if I was dressed as a civilian, I was fine. I could say anything I wanted to do or anything I wanted. If I was in uniform, that was an absolute prohibition. Um, and right. that, and I took that, I took that word, and I, and I did not say anything, at one way or the other. And I later learned that these are actually the rules for folks and, in uniform. And, and that and, is not how it is being practiced now. And Rich Rubino, it's almost like they have they've never heard of the term hatch act. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Um, you're not, yeah, and certainly the fact that you're not supposed to be. I mean, I guess another thing I would say would be the uh, the Jones Act that you're not that you're not. I mean, when I know about the Hatch Act, but I also know that you're not necessarily supposed to be making foreign policy overseas. That's about all I can um, add to that. I will say one thing though that's a little bit tangentially related that. President, in terms of something, when we're talking about President Truman and his, um, you know, his, when we, I'm sorry, we're talking about President Trump and his um, animosity toward John McCain. President Eisenhower, on the, when he, President Truman, rather, he actually ordered the son of Dwight Eisenhower to come back from where he was serving, in, where he was serving overseas so that he could come back to the United States and be there for, his, for Dwight Eisenhower, who they, at the time they were vociferous opponents of, so he could be at his inauguration. Yeah. I, I, so, that, go ahead, Admiral Ken. So I I, I saw the the story that Dan Dan was is, was uh, brought up and Dan, thank you. Um, and I, I even made a couple of posts about it. Um, there is so the the issue is under review by the DOD to see if any rules were broken and, and when they put on those patches. Uh, my post basically says, but of course there were rules broken. You can't do that. Right. It's against the law. Mm. I, do, I distinctly remember a soldier uh, showing up at a political rally in uniform uh, uh, during the, uh, the uh, uh, I think, President uh, Obama's uh, reelection campaign, and that person was summarily uh, disciplined. I think he, he was even court-martialed and had to leave, leave the service. So, yeah, you're not allowed to do that. We're supposed to be apolitical, and there's, there's a huge – there's a huge – um, uh, pushback going on right now uh, in the military over those patches. And, you know, we've heard people basically say, oh, yeah, it's just a deployment patch and there's a whole lot worse things out there. You know what? There might be, but I can tell you it's not appropriate, it's not right, and it's not supposed to happen. Yeah, there are worse things out there. I think there was one with Ron Powell and, and, as well. And the, and the, yeah. and the, and the president – uh, even dangling the pardons of people who, who I don't I don't want to say arguably committed war crimes were co- were convicted of committing war well, crimes. I mean, what about the, but that's the kind but, of thing. But what about these? The, they're not all disconnected. But what about the time, like for example, Admiral Ken, when the president goes to Europe, shows up at Ramstein Air Force Base, and starts handing out MAGA hats and signing them. Yeah, that I mean, that's just that's just that's out of well, control. Well, that, that's just the president not knowing. Who not not knowing, and in, in addition, having a staff not understanding that there's some things you don't just get to do, and I, you know, and I think you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. So in a few days, we're going to have the 50th anniversary, 75th, of, sorry, 75th anniversary of the landing at Normandy. Uh, I hope the president goes, whether it's raining or not, this time. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, okay. Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Alan Moore. Re- regard, regarding the former and heavily discredited uh, governor uh, greatness of, of Missouri, I was just re- reminding myself what, what 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 had occurred here. There were two different charges. One had to do with personal misconduct in a relationship with a woman, and one had to do with the the, the misuse of campaign funds, of, of, uh, not of funds, but of a of a campaign donor list. Right. There, they were both felt any charges both those charges were dropped right so there's nothing alive still on those charges that's the first thing because right. i think something other than that was said earlier in, talk, it, we, in we, talking about them and with regard they're done they're, they're right they, which which cleared the way apparently for him to at least be considered for moving from as I as i read it inactive reserve status to, to active, active reserve. reserve status now to go from active reserve to active duty is a whole nother thing, which you guys can talk about. I'm just saying he's now apparently because I was trying to understand what, uh, having read some of this, I just wanted to remind and get those facts clear. Yeah, yeah the, and there's plenty of scandal. I mean, there are problem out there for now. People who are active duty for or shielding against some prosecution, that the military can actually step in and intervene. Correct. They can claim jurisdiction on the UCMJ. But but again, you know, the, the thing about it is 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 uh, Greitens was Greitens was thrown out. Greitens was told by the Navy initially by his former command, "We don't want you back." And now he goes whining to the vice president, and the vice president says, "Take him back." And they go, we, yes, sir. We okay. Maybe it happened exactly that way. I would say we don't know that. Oh no, we do. 
I can tell you for a fact. That the vice president said take him back? The vice president's office directly contacted the chief, up to the chief of staff level, directly contacted the Navy Personnel Command and said, you're going to take him back. Worth, and they did. Worth noting, the vice president it, can't really give those orders. He's not in the, he's it, not in the it, chain of command. It, it, it strikes under, me under, as... understand, understand the fact that the, there are politics and there are reality. This, this is politics with a small p at, that the— Trust see, me. See, if you are, if you are see, seeing guys, Mike Pence yeah, as the 46th president of the United yeah. States— Admiral Ken. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. Justin's right. If the vice president— Checked in to the pattern and says, "Take this guy back." And, and, he got back. A, and he got a nod from the president. He's coming back in. That's right. just the way it works. Unless there's unless there's charges outstanding that to keep, that'll keep it from happening. No, Sorry, that's right. No, no, no I, I, <laughs> I'm skeptical about whether it actually happened that way. If it did, if that's the vice president. If the vice president said, make it happen. We are quibbling over details that nobody else cares about. We got to go. We got to go. It's time. We got to get out of here. Thank you for playing the music. Anyway, Admiral Ken, Rich Rubino in the booth. We got Charlie, Rob the Engineer, Eric, our producer. As always, Dan Lipner, Alan Moore. We'll be back. Oh, and by the way, big news happening this week. We'll announce on another episode, we're going to be on iHeartRadio. Believe it or not. Huh? Pretty cool. You can also get us on uh, your favorite podcast uh, downloads. Follow us on uh, Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. We'll see you, America. Have a great week.